You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. I love getting into people's journey and not just talking about the new shiny thing they're doing, but we'll talk about that too. But how did they get there? What happened in their life? So today's episode is with Jody Levy. She is an artist, designer, director, educator, entrepreneur, executive, and investor. And we are going to get into her journey. All right. Oh, before I say let's start the episode, if you haven't yet, please hit subscribe. Those subscribes really help podcasts get found. And also leave a review. And if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, screenshot it and send it to me at podcast at yourjoyologist.com and I will send you a gift from my product line because I love reading the reviews. But again, they really help a podcast out to get more found, discoverable, to reach more people. All right, let's get into the episode. All right. So I love starting with how people grew up, but especially like high school years, because I feel like in that high school ages, it can be like, you know, it feels like you have to start figuring out your like entire life or like, you know, like some people are like, oh, I'm going to do this. And they have this big dream or some people just like, right. So college is next or I'm just dreaming of getting married and having babies, like whatever. And there's just this like external and internal stress, I feel like at that time. So you can go earlier than that, but like, yeah, where, what were you feeling about in teenage years? And did you have an idea for a direction in your life? Yes, I did. So, um, so something happened to me when I was eight years old that like kind of set the trajectory of everything. I, I'm going to start there and then I'll, I'll jump to high school because it's kind of important. Um, okay. So I was like, I grew up outside of Detroit and I was in art class public school. And I, uh, I remember I was asked to copy like this purple Georgia O'Keeffe flower. And I was using like gouache paint, you know, the paint that smells like eggs. And so gouache is like this egg based paint. It kind of smells a little bit. And I was annoyed because I didn't like the purple color of the flower and, but I did it and I totally got lost in it. And I hit flow state for the first time. And I remember like being kind of in this trance that was unfamiliar to me. And I didn't really recognize it until the bell rang and I was like snapped out of it. And I was like, oh my God, I, like whatever that was, I, I like, I love that. Like that's, that was something. And so I was like, I'm an artist. Like I, like that's, uh, this is what I've like, I, I just knew. And I was in third grade and my parents were amazing and they were both like entrepreneurial and, you know, very nurturing. And I think they were just happy that like, I was such a problem child and I had something that I was like, I'm I'm this thing, right? I'm an astronaut. I'm an artist. I'm a painter. And, um, they totally nurtured me. And so from that day forward, I was very lucky that I, you know, was brought up in a family where they were like, okay you're an artist. We're going to like, we're in. So when I was in high school, I had this incredible opportunity. Um, I went to this high school that was connected to one of the most amazing graduate art schools in the world. It's called Cranbrook. And, um, they have like a design program an architecture program, um, ceramic program, painting program with like some of the most incredible, you know, people that have come out of it. And because I was on campus and my teachers had been teachers at the art Academy, I basically went through, um, what most people in art school go through in a foundation program when they start college. And so I had a studio and I was working huge scale and I was exploring all of these strange, I totally peaked by the way, I peaked in high school when it comes to like my paintings. (laughs) That's the running joke. (laughs) But I had this really cool experience where I did very, very poorly in everything else, but I did really well in fine art. And I ultimately went to school for fine art and that's what I graduated with a degree in. And when, so in that time too, 
do you think like I'm guessing because you sounds like you're being so nurtured by your parents and then also like teachers and stuff like they're seeing things in you. So like, yeah, a lot of people, it's like they're getting talked out of being an artist, especially like fine art. Like what? Like, you know, the chances of like that being like a real thing is so rare. And so, yeah, like when you're in that, then it's just like I'm guessing like, do you feel like, yeah, you have a lock on life like this is it like I'm a fine artist like I'm just going to like you think you're graduate you know you're doing this you're graduating college and then like that's like the trajectory of the rest of your life yeah it's an interesting question um especially I'm not an artist or creative so then like I'm just imagining like yeah like being so in that and then <laughs> yeah so it's the re- reason it's an interesting question is a couple things one is that I was really good so I was I could draw an anatomical, like an anatomically correct human. I could be in a live drawing class. Like I was in all these college classes and there'd be like naked old men. And I was like this young kiddo, you know, learning how to do like figure drawing. And then once I kind of figured out the constraints that I was working in, I started doing really large abstract pieces. And my work um, was like the the gift that I had to express myself was celebrated. And I think that paired with this insane passion that I had for it was probably hard for anyone around me not to just go with. So that whole thing of like how you do one thing is how you do everything. Like when I am inspired by something, I'm like really all in. So I have to imagine in hindsight that if I was like all in like that, it probably was hard for any teacher or parent or anyone in my life to not just be like, okay, go like, just do your thing. It's leading somewhere. So I think it was probably more like that rather than like, uh, oh, wow. It's so risky to, um, to like succeed being a fine artist. I think it was more like, this is leading somewhere. Well, yeah, that's what I make up. Like it said, sounded like you had that support so that you were just like, great, this is it. And you also it wasn't just that you're getting all this feedback and you're good at it. Like it really did fulfill you and like you're passionate about it. Cause that also, it's like, yeah, we can be good at things and everybody's like, you're amazing at it. And then, but you're like, you're right. I am. But also at the same time, like it doesn't fulfill you. you Yeah. So I'm also very persistent. Very persistent. Knowing like my personality and kind of who I've always been, I'm not the easiest, but like, I don't really like, no, doesn't always mean no to me. I understand. You know, (laughs) I can have that, that tendency as well too. Like, okay, well then how can I go about it this way? Um, So, okay. So you went to college then for fine art too. And what Mm -hmm. happens after college? Um, So it's really interesting. So I went to, I ultimately at the last minute decided to go to a school in upstate New York. Um, that had an amazing fine art program. It was called Skidmore College, but I wanted to kind of branch out because I had sort of had the foundation of a fine arts program. And I was like, okay, well, maybe it's time to like learn some other things and bring that into my, my work. And I did that. I had an incredible four years of college. I wasn't there the whole time. I was there for about a, a year and a half. And then I traveled, I got some grants. I ultimately finished at the Art Institute of Chicago. But something happened that first year in college um, that is really relevant to what I'm actually doing today. I grew up in Michigan and never had any tick awareness. And when I went to upstate New York, I never really learned about ticks or Lyme disease or anything like that. And I spent every day in the backwoods because I love nature and um, I got bit. Um, probably many times now that I know what I know. And I got sick that first summer after college and hospitalized, but nobody at that time and nobody in Michigan really knew what Lyme disease looked like. So it was misdiagnosed and it was misdiagnosed for 18 years. And so when I look back at like art school and my experience in college and my experience after that summer, it was sort of when my, um, my exploration of medicine and non-traditional medicine and the healing arts started, which arguably was a master's degree in life and, you know, like living and finding my happiness and my, and my wellness. 
but um, I didn't know it at the time. And I, and I suffered quite a bit and, and kind of very uh, like alone because no one could understand it. Yeah. I have a much different story, but I now, yeah, like, I mean, I feel like now there's much more discussion about Lyme, but it's still from the outside looking in seems like it's still a bit of a mystery and like that people don't fully like believe people and all of that things. And it looks like such a struggle. Like I've watched people go through all like years of healing it and trying all of these things. And um, that, and I even, yeah, I knew somebody like a 10 years ago, same that I had met somebody who had Lyme disease. And back then, like, then it was even hard, like her struggle. But I, um, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia when I was 18. And that was after like years of going to every sort of specialist and this, cause I had so many issues and not being diagnosed. And so it's totally different what I was experiencing and that, but like, I get the like loneliness and like, you're constantly telling, you know, going to doctors and then sort of, it feels like people for me, it was like kind of were over me kind of did start even the people that maybe did believe me. Like it was like, even my mom, like, I feel like it wore on her, my dad, like, oh, I'm getting emotional. Like I remember, you know, that feeling of like, yeah, you feel like so, um, alone and confused in that, like you can't explain it to anybody. Yeah. That had a huge direct, like change on my life too. Cause I almost ended my life. Um, because of it. And I decided that I was going to just stop caring so much about what other people thought and did whatever brought me joy and whatever. So like my life changed too from having a chronic pain that was undiagnosed and sort of taking my life into my own hands. And then same thing, I had to find like holistic ways to help myself. So yeah, like when did you start? That started when you were about 18 or 19? Is that? Yeah. So same thing. And then you're hospitalized even. And getting all of these mis un or not being diagnosed. So when did you decide to like, yeah, start doing things to figure it out on your own or feel better? Like, what did that path look for like for you? So um, first of all, I'm so sorry that you went through that because I really know what it's like. And I think the hardest part isn't even like the inability to figure out what's going on in the body, but it's like when the people that you trust most are like, oh, just don't work so hard. It's just stress. Like, you're just a little crazy. You know, like, you're a hypochondriac. It's fine. Like, all the things. I feel like that is actually the hardest part of it. And, like, you you kind of get it because there's no facts and it's, like, hard to make sense of the whole thing. But I lived with that for a long time. And um, I love dancing and I love music. I, like, I love underground electronic music. And I was never really big on drinking, but I would go out and stay out all night because of the music and the sound systems. And I would sleep like eight hours a night. Like I was not deprived of anything, but it was a lot of like, oh, don't stay out all night. You'll feel better if you don't like go do what you love. Right. Or um, don't work so hard. Like You're just stressed. You're working yourself to the bones. Well, the truth is I was in the same place that you were and the work and the music totally saved my life. Same. And yeah. me doing the things, and I would be able to tell because like, it's not like in your head what you're feeling. But when I was doing things I didn't like, I would feel worse. But if I could, if when I committed to doing the things that I loved, I wouldn't be so tuned in. Like, I wouldn't feel as bad because I would be so excited about like this. So yeah, like, yeah, like I wanted to be a live sound engineer. That was my first dream. And I threw myself into it. And I would work for 18 hours a day and like learn it. And like, I was still dealing with all that stuff. But because I was doing something that brought me so much joy, I felt better than being at home, being upset and hurt and sick and like annoyed. So my friend, Stephen Kotler, one of his first um, really well-known books, I think it's called West of Jesus. He had spent a couple of years in bed because of debilitating Lyme disease and then ultimately figured out that flow state, that place where we go when we're doing what we love and we're totally in presence, is the single best way to bring the body and the brain back into balance. And so that book, West of Jesus, is all about how he discovered surfing after going through this horrible chronic illness and how that ultimately led to all of his work in flow state and the flow state collective and it's exactly what you just said. It's like when you figure out what, you know, what we do that 
um, makes us passionate and love what we're doing. It, it brings us back and it's part, you know, mindset, but it's mostly like chemicals and brain. So to answer your question, um, I spent 18 years just quietly trying to, I knew something wasn't right. And, you know, according to like Western medicine, I was the epitome of health. And there'd be all these like weird things that would happen. And it would be like a little one-off here, this, there, or like my immune system wouldn't be that great. But I was like, something isn't right. Like I would see how happy people were and how easy life was. And I would realize that I was like sort of smiling or like hiding behind my big smile and working really hard to like feel good. So um, I fell in love with one of the most amazing doctors in the functional medicine space. And he had like labs and all these opportunities for me to kind of like go deeper into what was going on in my body. And so we did that together. And ultimately I just like tested and tested and experimented and I'm an executive. I am a founder and I run my businesses and I was like, I'm going to CEO you on my own health. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to be meticulous. I'm going to track everything and I'm going to solve this so that I can share everything that works for me with everybody else. Cause I never want anyone to experience this. So I did. And I like, I was secretly, you know, suffering. No, nobody, the, the board of directors of my different businesses knew what was going on because I felt like they had to, but like none of my employees or teams knew. I'd leave my office and I'd go, I'd like have all of my doctor's offices would set me up in like coat closets or like um, stairwells with like IV bags and treatments so that I could be like plugged into the Wi-Fi on conference calls working. And I would just do it for hours and hours and hours. I tracked everything and it took me four years and, and I traveled the world and I did everything like Western and Eastern and Andean and shamanic and, you know, experimental and like everything. And ultimately I was like, so frustrated I had spent all my money. I had spent all my time. And I met Dr. Linda Lancaster, who's now my business partner. And I did an eight-day goat milk cleanse where I drank only goat milk and water and coffee for eight days. And every two hours, so I took I'm the- laughing. I know. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> like, I, I was at the end of the line. Like, there was nothing left to do. I didn't wow. drink milk. I didn't like dairy was the enemy until and, you're like, okay, I guess it's, but, but also it's like that also like, and coffee, like we're going to do an organic, <laughs> but you can still have your, <laughs> I mean, that I, was like part of it. Like, sure. If you want coffee, it's fine. Or like, were you not supposed to be drinking coffee or was no, that? No, coffee you have coffee. Actually, they want coffee you. actually like detoxes the liver. That's part of the cleanse. Okay. Well, by the way, I would have never done it if I couldn't drink my coffee. <laughs> I mean, like I really legitimately probably wouldn't have done it. But it's like, and did it, I mean, that's also just like, I don't know if you're sharing this as an example of that's all the things I tried or like, did that end up being like the thing? Changed my <laughs> life. <laughs> like I now have a business called the Milk Cleanse and I spend every dollar I make trying to tell the world that like an eight day goat milk cleanse can be the single most transformative thing for their happiness. Okay. I do remember when I looked up, cause yeah, we're, and we're going to get back into all those businesses, but like, yeah, I'm like, and then there, she has this milk cleanse and I sort of looked yeah. at it, but I didn't. And I was sort of like, I don't understand. But I'm uh -huh. <laughs> so that is, wow. Okay. Uh -huh. We're going to jump back and then we'll get, Great. <laughs> and then we'll go Perfect. forward to I'm this following milk your lead. <laughs> okay. So you're in art school, get sick. You don't know what it is. I'm guessing you graduate event Ish. or do you jump around? Cause I know you said you ended up at art school in Chicago. I don't know if that's the name of what's the name of the school. The Art, art Institute. Institute. There we go. So yeah. I jumped around. I let, I finished. finished. I got my diploma four years later when I was teaching a class and I needed it. So but yes, so I graduated. What happened from art school <laughs> to a CEO of many businesses in a stairwell uh, on conference calls? <laughs> <laughs> 
So I finished school and I, um, I was one of four founding members of the world's first experience design firm. So up until that time, experience design had been used as a term to describe like uh, web interfaces. And I met, um, it was a really good friend of mine. And then these two other people who are, you know, have been like family to me my whole life, um, who had come from like the uh, more traditional digital content design automotive space. And I was coming from creating all these immersive installations from the art space that were very specific around ecology and the sustainability of our planet. It was a topic that not many people in America were talking about. Um, at some point in my journey, I had in college, I had gotten a grant and I went down to New Zealand and I was working with all these fine artists who were doing pieces for the Sydney Olympics. And many of them were addressing, you know, the state of our ecosystem on the planet. And I was really captivated by how art and installation art and immersive environments could tell bigger stories by putting people into them. It was kind of the place where our attention spans were starting to shift and, you know, like traditional means of storytelling needed to get a lot faster and a lot more um, dynamic and sensorial. So we came together and we applied all of the uh, theories of Montessori learning, how, you know, all different people learn through the five senses and the sixth sense of proprioception, how we move through space. And we started working with some of the biggest companies on the planet, launching um, hybrid technology vehicles, fuel cell technology, hydrogen platforms, um, working with organizations like Global Green to talk about ecological issues. Um, we were doing a lot of immersive installations in cities around like solar power, alternative energy, uh, interactive spaces at like the MoMA and the Science Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago and kind of bridging this world of like installation art and marketing communications. So and something so I that did, I would like as just a general consumer would be like excited to like, are you walking by or like whatever, like, oh, it's like something I maybe don't care to learn about really, but like walk by or get pulled in because it is sort of an immersive art installation that you're walking through and then like, oh, wait, what is this? Like pulled yeah, into totally that. about it. Like creating a talk about experience, right? So like you and I are walking through a city center. And we're minding our business, catching up because we haven't seen each other in ages. And all of a sudden there's like some incredible thing that we're in and we can't help but stop and like take photos and talk about it later. And if we're doing, you know, our jobs the right way, give people this one little nugget of information that they walk away with where they're like, oh my God, Lexus is doing amazing things. Like they just launched this hybrid vehicle that's like, committed to, you know, reforesting the planet. Who knows? Um, and it was awesome because it was like work at a huge scale, you know, directly with the executives of these big companies. We kind of flew under the radar of traditional PR and marketing, but we got to do things on the front lines of global storytelling. And probably with huge budgets. <laughs> huge budgets and like the newest, coolest technology. Awesome. So that was like your first thing out of mm -hmm. college. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And then how long had like, yeah, where did that end up going into? Because yeah, you said CEO of many businesses. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So that, um, in addition to sort of the big brand work and fortune 50 companies and the executive suites, there were a bunch of like early stage startup founders that would come to us and be like, we have this idea, will you build a brand? And our idea of building a brand was, you know, defining that core communication and making sure that every touch point from that product or the storytelling around it connected to that core communication. So because I came from the design world, I kind of like design process is ingrained in how I think. So we developed this like very efficient way of, I, I now call, call it my plot process and I apply it to literally everything, but um, of like defining what the mission and the meaning is and defining what a product or a brand is all about and 
and making sure that every expression is always the same. So we were applying that to a bunch of like early stage businesses. And what ended up happening was I was building the business plans and I was figuring out, you know, all of the different facets of these companies. So um, fast forward, you know, 12 years and we, I had been working with all these awesome performance groups and immersive theater groups and like technology, you know, companies, it was like theatrical boot camp. And I had a chance to produce this like underground, super sexy vaudeville circus show on Broadway. So I was producing this show and it was, we had, we were given this theater and we built out this whole crazy thing. It was like a short run show. And our opening night was the day that Hurricane Sandy was coming to New York. So I'm in New York for this and somebody invited me to a party and I went to a surprise birthday party for, um, for this guy that I didn't really know. I had met him a week earlier leaving Burning Man. His name is Harlan Berger. And so we're at um, Sleep No More, which is a immersive theater experience in New York City. I went to the roof because I just, I've, when I'm in New York, I'm always climbing to the roof, trying to get to fresh air, right? Like Michigan nature girl, in big city. And um, Harlan came up and somebody walked up to him and was like, happy birthday, man. I hope all your dreams come true. And handed him a couple of bottles of cold pressed watermelon juice. And I'm like, <laughs> what is this? Why? Like, it's the middle of the night. Why are they giving you watermelon juice? What, like, what's up? He's like, a, you know, an, a, an incredible like real estate developer in, in New York City. And he's like, oh my God, do you know that there are 800 million pounds of unused watermelons just in America every year? They're ugly, they're bruised, they're scarred, they're misshapen, and they represent a lot of money and energy, and they totally go to waste. And first I'm like, how do you know that? Like, who knows this fact, right? And then I'm like, and what are you doing about it? And he's like, I just have always wanted to do something and I want to make like a product with it. And this is the guy that is carrying the watermelon juice. Like, yeah, he was just, him? he was just gifted it. No, it was oh, so gifted Har to him. Harlan is the one that is telling you. So it's you, his birthday. So you ask him what was up with that? Why did that guy give you watermelon juice? And then and he has all this knowledge about watermelons. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like it's his 50th birthday. I wasn't sure he, if it was oh, the guy no. with the water. So that makes it even more interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's his a watermelon aficionado. Aficionado. It's his 50th birthday. He owns Sleep No More. We're on the roof of his building. And of all the things that someone would give him for his like big 50th, it was like these two bottles of watermelon juice. So I'm like, you know, like I'm not the, the quietest person on the planet. And I'm like, what's up with this? So he tells me all this stuff. And he's, I'm like, oh, well, I have a design company. Let me know if you want help with like your watermelon endeavor, right? So I leave and I wake up the next morning and I'm like, 800 million pounds of watermelons. How much ethanol could that make? Right? Like we can make fuel out of corn. Why can't we make fuel out of hundreds of millions of pounds of watermelons? So I call Harlan and we meet and ultimately I go to Columbia University and I'm like, I have this whole history of a profession in mobility and automotive and like alternative fuel. I'm sitting on hundreds of millions of pounds of unused watermelons every year. Like let's fly some rocket ships. And uh, Dixon Despamier, who's kind of the, the expert at vertical farming and his, um, his partner in crime at Columbia, who's an ethanol expert, educate me on how watermelons are actually low glycemic and therefore can't make fuel. And so that prompts Harlan and I to, you know, pursue a, an endeavor. You guys are just now like, he's like onto the watermelons and now you're like somehow like, can't stop thinking about watermelons. Now it sounds like, what can we do with these watermelons? And more importantly, food waste and yeah. how big of an, an issue food waste is. And that like a brand is an interface to a bigger message. And if we can do this the right way, 
and we can tell them tell a story about how important food waste is, that would mean something. And then secondarily, because of everything I'd been going through, I was using clean food to hack my system. And there was nothing. This was 2013. Like there was nothing at the time that didn't have sugar additives, even at Whole Foods in the clean markets. So I, um, we decided to create a partnership and we invented a product in a category called Waterbone Water. And I went out with this, uh, this passion and commitment to first educate people about the importance of food waste. And secondly, to be one of the first clean products that could go into the natural channel and then into the conventional uh, grocery universe in America and really tackle the topic of you know, food as a social justice issue. And I, um, I built this brand and category and brought in some amazing partners, all converging to tell the story about how important clean food is and what we put in our bodies and how that impacts our health and happiness. And that was my foray into consumer packaged goods, beverage, clean food, and um, the world of alternative, you know, medicine and therapies. Psst, it's Trisha bringing you a brief interruption to tell you about, remind you about some ways that I am here to support you besides the podcast. One, I have a daily inspiration app. You can download it. It's only $3.99. That's $3.99. There's no ads. There's no other fees. And I add more to it constantly. It is an app full of hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations. Come to it at any time. Oh, I just got, I am opening. I open myself up to receiving. Everything is going my way. I just got another one. Show up for yourself in the vision you are holding by making any time for it today. So there's all different things. You can also set a reminder in the app so it comes and tells you, hey, pick a card because, you know, we forget to do the things that benefit us. Um, Yeah, you can get it in the Apple App Store and the Google Play App Store. I also have a product line. Most favorite item right now is the Daily Connection Journal. There's easy spots to fill it out to connect with yourself day afternoon, night, come back to it throughout the day. Make it be your daily space to connect with you for only a couple minutes. That's at shop.yourjoyologist.com along with my other products. And I have one-on-one coaching opportunities. I only take a couple clients a month or two. So right now I have spots open for August and beyond. Send me a message, go to yourdrialgist.com backslash coaching. You can read about it. My main work is called Man- Your Manager of Integrity because we work things out. Clear space, we talk an hour each week, but then we also are in contact every single day via text message to help support you through what comes up, to help keep you in integrity for what we are working on in those calls. So it's not just talk to you, talk to you next week, hope you do good. I am really fully there for you the whole way and it makes such an impact on people's lives. I'm not just saying that, every single one of my clients. And so you can set up a call to talk to me about it, see if it feels like a right fit. And also you can talk to past clients because I get the fear of investing in yourself. And Well, this lady says it's going to work, but you can actually talk to people that have worked with me. So you can send me a DM at underscore Trisha Huffman. Check out yourdryologist.com backslash coaching. I also have other opportunities for a way to work with me, but the manager of integrity is the main one. All right, let's get back to the episode. When you decided to go full on with this too, is this like starting a new thing or do you still stay a part of your original company? So I, um, I had left my company. I was like, I had gotten as, as amazing as automotive is and it is the best. And you got to do really cool things, but even doing really really cool cool things, things. really cool people, there sometimes meets an end. (laughs) Yeah. And it was just like, it started to get a little monotonous, you know, it was like, I know I'm working with the biggest budgets and I know I'm working with the best technology and like, I get it, but I was, you know, I was 31. I'd been doing it for 10 years. I was 32. I'd been doing it for 11 years. And I was like, there's so many things I want to do. So um, when I did the show on Broadway, that was when I had like stepped away and started to. 
So it also is the perfect timing of happening to witness the watermelon gift and yeah. the timing in your your life that you could be like totally okay watermelons yeah. food waste this um wow and so yeah like that was a whole new like even though i'm guessing you got to use a lot of contacts and skills from things you learned that's a totally different world going into packaged goods to be sold <laughs> yes it was totally different but at the same time it was, I had been doing this with so many people that were like, I have an idea. Like, you know, so, but yeah, I think the one thing about run, like building and running an experiential design firm, um, and I was basically running all of our clients, all of our projects, all of our creative, is that no two projects were ever the same. So that was the thing that kind of conditioned me for this crazy journey, which like totally has a through line. But it, it sort of put me in this position of like, I can kind of understand everything, you know, and anything and anything that comes at me. I will tell you, beverage is particularly challenging. And I now, I sold that business in September of last year, but I also, um, I have another beverage company. It's a spirits company called Gem and Bolt Mezcal. And so we have this super clean mezcal that's grown like all biodynamic agave And then we do a second distillation with Damiana and Damiana is this like potent aphrodisiac and um, really cool herb. That's like a cure-all. So I'm, I'm not quite out of the beverage industry yet. (laughs) And when, when all of these things are happening, because it sounds like to me, your work sounds exciting, fulfilling, Uh, but also you were having health struggles the whole time. And sometimes even if we have amazing, awesome work, like we don't necessarily feel fulfilled or alive. Like, were you able to enjoy all of that that was happening? And like, again, like we mentioned, you mentioned earlier that, yeah, like you feel, did you feel like you were able to, because you were doing work you enjoyed, you were able to like keep going because your health was struggling. And was that also during the time, like throughout those, all of what we've talked about, are you trying, like, let me try this. Like, yeah, you mentioned clean eating, like, let me go over here. Or did you get into like trying all the things later? Like once you had more time or was that all like built in like, okay, business, okay. Healing this. Okay. Business. Okay. Let me check this out. <laughs> um, so it's sort of like all of yes and no. Uh, And what I mean by that is I was doing things like I was always gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free. Like I was really into nutritional balancing. Um, My sister's an incredible fitness trainer and um, a like professional nutritionist. So we were always kind of biohacking and we were biohacking very early on. Um, But I wasn't ever getting the results that everybody else was. And I didn't feel good, but I, it wasn't until I really lost my memory that I was put in a position where like, I I couldn't pretend like I was okay anymore. So I had this whole system where like, I'd write stuff, you know, like on my hand if I needed to, and on my notebook and I'd email myself and, you know, I'd text myself and I just had like layers upon layers of things. So I wouldn't forget. And then one day I was sitting and talking to my brother-in-law and like, I couldn't find his name. Like I, like not like a little, like there's this thing on the tip of your tongue. Like his name was gone, vanished. There was nothing. And that was kind of the moment where I was like, this is not normal. And, um, I think that's when I stopped like pushing myself so hard and I kind of surrendered to the next chapter of, I have to figure out what's going on. And then it wasn't, it was like about halfway through that journey that I actually started getting the results that I needed to then go explore. And once that happened, I just got really good with my time management and got all my stuff done so that I could like keep my body in balance. And I missed a lot of things. Like I, I, um, I was just like, I like just stopped trying to push myself and stopped traveling everywhere. I, you know, I, I missed a lot of like events and happenings and, 
people thought I was super flaky because they didn't understand that like something was actually going on. And um, yeah. Got it. So yeah, it's not like you sound like maybe for years you were like supercharging it through and you're like, well, I'm eating these good things and I'm doing these good things. So I'm doing my best and I'm doing it. And then when the memory thing, like you finally had to like stop and Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of that too. It's like, again, even though my fibromyalgia is mostly under control from how I take care of myself and stuff like that, then like, yeah, I, I, it's, my fibromyalgia has taught me a lot of life lessons. Like in many ways I can see it as a blessing as to like, yeah, I had to learn early on about boundaries and how, and like saying no to even awesome stuff because I need to make sure I have rest and energy or else I won't be the person I want to (laughs) be if I'm there, like stuff like that. Um, so yeah, so, um, where, and so then when did that journey come? Was that sort of like at the, once you started to do all of those things, and like you said, starting to back out of things and not travel, did you get into the journey that led you to the goat milk? <laughs> of like tracking <laughs> all the things? Like, okay, memory, okay, I got to pull back. Okay, I'm doing these things. Like, was it sort of like you started to do things that finally worked? And then or like, did you is that also when you finally got the diagnosis? Because you didn't have a diagnosis for a very long time, right? Like, Correct. I got my diagnosis, like after like four years. But it also they gave me pills that didn't work or whatever. So it was sort of like, I have a word now. Yay. I have a word. But like it was still like, you're on your own because everything that they gave me was useless and made me worse. <laughs> but I at least had yeah. a word. I had a word, people. <laughs> well, it's interesting because everything I had done leading up to when I had my word had conditioned me to know that most people never got better from my word. Right. So I had uh, 14 types of tick-borne illnesses and exposure to toxic mold. So my body was filled with mycotoxins. And because I was in this amazing relationship with this, like, you know, pioneering functional medicine expert and doctor, I had seen all of these stories of like what didn't work. So at first I was like, oh my God, I have a word. And then I was like, shit, I can't do anything that they're going to want me to do. None of it works. (laughs) Now what? So I couldn't tell anybody because I was like, oh, what if I have to live like this? And that's when I was like, "Uh uh-uh, I got this. Like I can do, I have been conditioned to do what nobody's ever done in everything I've ever done. Every industry, like people were like, oh, you can't make a beverage category. Hardest thing ever. Well, I did it. And you can't make a car that runs on this. And we did it. And like, just, you know, and I was like, I don't really accept no. So I changed my entire outlook. I, um, I sold a bunch of equity in my business so that I could pay for it. And I was basically like, I... I am doing this for everybody else because if I'm doing it for everybody else, then I know I won't compromise. And I just like set out and researched everything. And because I had this amazing human in my life and the entire network that, you know, we had created together, I, anything that I learned about, I didn't have to wait two years to get into. And so I got to like go and try things and I put my body through the ringer and I kept meticulous notes. And I, some things would make me feel good and some things would make me feel bad. And I laughed all the way through and I wanted to give up a million times, but I was like in like CEO mode, right? I was like, I got this, like losing is not an option. I surrender to the process, but I'm going to like, I'm going to figure this out. And I was at a dinner party and he, he, his name is Dave. He's the guy who saved my life. He comes up to me and I was like so secretive. I didn't want anybody to know that I wasn't okay. And he was like, hey, listen, I know what's up. I know what you're going through. I have this amazing woman. I really want you to call her. She has this weird thing. It's called the milk cleanse. You've got to do it. And I'm like, so snooty. I've got all the doctors and all the things. I'm doing all the things. And he's like, yeah, yeah, totally. So when none of that works, like call this woman and call me. I totally got you. So I did it. I called her. I did my blood thing. I sent the blood in. I rolled my eyes the whole way through. 
And I got this kit, the milk cleanse kit, which like at the time, you know, was like hand packed and was just like these little jars that came in a, a, a um, box. And I carried them in my computer bag for like six months. Because it was it like powder. They're pills. Oh, so there's, okay. there's four pill bottles and directions that make up the milk cleanse. People source their own milk. You get whatever milk you like and you take these pills every two hours. <clears throat> so I was in Denver with my sister and we were climbing like a trail that we climb all the time and I couldn't get up the hill and I was just in tears and I didn't want to admit that I was in so much pain and that I like couldn't breathe and I couldn't walk and I couldn't do any of the things. And she was amazing. Like my, my sister and my brother-in-law were amazing through the whole thing. Cause they just like always encouraged me to keep going and didn't care how slow I was. And, um, I don't talk about the symptoms of being sick very often and it's not, it's never easy for me. Um, and, uh, and so finally she, I think she was the one that was like, why do you do that thing? Like that thing that you've been carrying around, like, let's just see. And it was so weird. It was the weirdest week of my life. Now I do it all the time. It's like literally makes me feel amazing. But the first one, I mean, I went through all kinds of weird ups and downs. At one point, all the veins in my body turned blue. And we were like, oh my God, I'm a superhero, right? And I felt so good. I had so much energy. And like on day six, my entire head cleared and my vision got better. And like, it was transformative for me. And I actually didn't believe that I was going to stay feeling as good as I did. And then um, for six months, I felt amazing. Wow. From that one week. One week. And when- I mean, there's a, there's a phase two. Right. So there's another three weeks where you return to normal food and you take the supplements. Got it. But yeah, like that one cleanse. And it, well, yeah, it wasn't like for the next six months you were, yeah, had to follow like some very strict no. protocol or something. Mm-mm. And I was like running up mountain trails and I was working out twice a day and we were laughing and like everything just felt easeful. And then something happened in Watermelon Water and I had to jump in to the CEO role, which I was going to do for a month because I was so scared. I was like, oh my God, the stress is going to be bad for me. Like, I can't do it. I don't want to feel bad again. I was in the seat for two and a half years. I felt amazing. I've literally never looked back. Wait, that was two and a half years ago now? Is that what you mean? No, that was in 2016 that I did my first month. Got it. But then, oh, so you had backed away from CEO like a bit. Years before. So I had hired a CEO early on because I had other stuff going on. I had never run a beverage company and I just knew something was wrong. Got it. Yeah. And then you were, yeah. So then something came up, you needed to like be back in, you're worried. Oh no, is this going to like make everything like revert or whatever because of being back in this role and you, it didn't, and you were running it again for two and a half years and still feeling great. Yeah. Wow. So then, yeah. yeah. So then it makes sense that you're already in, yeah, creating products, brands, whatever. Then, so did you team up with the woman to say, hey, we need to like really get this out there and tell people about it? So on day eight of my first cleanse, (laughs) I call her and I was like, this is so easy. This is so crazy. This is so inexpensive compared to everything that I've done. We have to bring this to the world. And she was like, okay, great. I called Dave, the guy from the party. And I was like, and by the way, he had been talking to me the whole way through. You end up talking about your poop quite a bit through the milk cleanse. It's essentially an adaptation of an ancient Ayurvedic parasite cleanse. Oh. And so it's a milk mono diet. It's non-deprivation. You're getting like protein, carbs, sugar. It's the easiest, and sorry, protein, carbs, fat. It's like the easiest cleanse you've ever done because you feel awesome. And I called Dave and I was like, okay, you saved my life. Like I've never felt better. We're building a business. And from 2016 to this past year, it went, we had ups and downs. So Dave and I, uh, put all the original money in and we did a, a test with a hundred people. Um, 99 of them got better. 
And what were the people like? Were you sort of sourcing? It wasn't just people I'm guessing like that had like Lyme diagnosis. Is it like? So our first hundred were all people that had Lyme. Oh, okay. It wasn't until later that we realized that Linda's been using this in her practice for 40 years for all kinds of resets, like gut reset, brain reset, you know, hormone balancing. It's a parasite cleanse. So yeah. It's like the milk acts like a magnet and the pills kill all the unwanted, you know, microbiological stuff. I used to, uh, you know, I've gone through all sorts of like different stuff too. And so I would see different chiropractors and some of the chiropractors would be super into like muscle testing and whatever. And I'd go come back from tour and be like this. And they're like, oh, the this and you have parasites. So I used to go on parasite cleanses all the time, but it wasn't like a strict thing. He basically gave me all these pills to just add to my life. Like I wasn't changing really like my diet, but like, Yes, I've definitely gone through lots of phases of taking like lots of aerobic pills. Totally. <laughs> and I did not have Lyme. <laughs> yeah. Well, now most of the people that do the milk cleanse don't. We haven't, I like, because of the regulations of how I can tell stories, I can tell my story, but I can't really talk about what the product does. So there's a lot of, like, my passion is to get this to as many people that are suffering from Lyme as possible. But to date, we haven't really reached that community. So anyways, the project sat for a long time. And um, in December of 2020, I had a re-exposure and some of my symptoms came back. And I was like, I got this. Did the milk lens for eight days. Totally fine. I was great. And I was like, okay, it's time. This is too important. There's too many people suffering. So I picked it back up and we started like designing the actual product and went into production and we were like packing, like going, like all the ingredients were coming in to put on the line in March when the pandemic hit and we were delayed. Not that much. Like our, our manufacturer was amazing. They were totally shut down and they still kept going with our tiny little like initial 1000 unit order. And we got pushed a little bit, but we launched almost a year ago in June of last year in the middle of the pandemic. Wow. And so is this like your main thing now, or do you still have arms into all sorts of different things? But, but this is like your main passion, I'm guessing that you want people in the world to know about. It is one of the most important things to me. Um, I have a couple of other things. So there's there are three things that got me better. The milk cleanse was the first. The second is uh, I started to understand how the limbic system, the looping in our brain impacts our symptoms in the body. And I started working with this woman, Lisa Wimberger, because after I got better, I still had pain patterns. And in four sessions of this, trademarked protocol that she invented called neurosculpting. My pain went away. So we came together and built an iPhone app called Neuropraxis. And it's the first library that exists is for biotoxicity. So like Lyme, mold, viruses, fear of viruses. And there's 75 uh, hours worth of brain repatterning modules for people that are in acute symptomology or that are in like prevention and maintenance mode. And because mental health um, has become such an important day-to-day practice for so many people coming up, you know, going through and coming out of this time, we're working on like four new libraries um, connected to this neuropraxis work. And so how does, if you have the app and you have access to all those libraries, but like, is it like, what type of segment? Like, so if somebody is working through that stuff and they have the app, like, you know, would they pull it up and they're like watching a five minute video? Is it like, like, like what would somebody do in the moment to utilize it? They're guided modules. So they range from like five minutes to 20 minutes. Got it. And some people, most people use it like a meditation. I actually use it when I'm walking or riding my bike or taking a bath. I tend, it's more active than meditation. Um, but it's like profoundly efficient. So we have a couple that are called the feel goods. They're basically like quickies and there's some for just general anxiety or, um, yeah. So so that's like, yeah, they could like, yeah, be what you said you're walking. So you can like hit play or whatever, bring up a module and like, yeah, walk and then be listening to 
this sort of meditation? Totally. Like if I, um, let's say I had joint pain or sensitivity to light, I could play that module and I might do it like three times in a week, repattern that loop and it's gone. Very cool. So that's one of the things I'm doing. And then I have um, another product coming out called Myco Me Free, which is actually like, I've spent all this time figuring out the formula to pull mycotoxins from uh, toxic mold exposure out of the body. So that's something that's coming. Wow. Lots of things. I, I don't know if you're going to have an answer for this question. <laughs> But I'm going to ask, since you, you know, you've mentioned, yeah, you're sort of like someone that doesn't take no as an answer or you're very persistent. Is there something, you know, within you that you hear, that you say, that you remind yourself when you might be in an instance of getting the no or the this that keeps you to show up to try it another way? Because so many people are not like that. They're afraid to like, you know, like the fear of rejection, the fear of getting a no has us rejecting ourselves. Like, oh, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to ask because I might get a no this. So, so often people are like not giving themselves a chance to even like speak up, ask a question, see if it's possible. And you seem to like just keep on going. Like, is there something that you feel that like has you be able to keep doing that? Yeah. And this is where I think my, um, my like spirituality comes together with business. Um, I think that part of it is just my nature. Well, yeah, that's what I was like, you might spirit. not have an answer because it sounds like it's yeah. just innate in you, but <laughs> I think it is, but I also, um, I think I was forced to like, to know that every like everyone else was wrong. Like I proved them all wrong. And it, and it was brutal doing so, right? And it wasn't to prove them wrong, although I really do like being right. It, it was more like, because I wanted to be healthy and I couldn't accept that they were right. But I have, um, I do accept no sometimes. And typically it's when my intuition validates it. And I don't accept no a lot of the time because it's, my intuition isn't validating it. And so more than anything, I've spent time honing my intuition to understand where like the invisible information is. And so this is where my classical training as a fine artist comes in, where, you know, we learn in, in composition about the negative space, right? It's like the space around everything. And so I tend to look at the negative space, the space around everything in business or in a medical story or in any concept. And it's the space around it that I tend to get a lot of my information. Wow. I love that. That Yeah, you can tie that back to your art background. And so like what me, again, not being an artist and not having the information, but when you were describing that to me, that it's just like you're sort of seeing like you just are seeing like the limitless possibilities, like that, the space around it, that it's like everybody else might be focused on like this, the inside. And you're just like, but what about, there's all this out here. Is that what it sort of is? So I think that when there's a, like a potent pause in a track, it's not just the absence of sound. It's the opportunity for everything that exists in the anticipation in the, in the excitement, in the unknown, in the discomfort, in the, like, there's a whole world that happens in that pause for whatever's coming next. And I think it's more about that. Interesting. All right. Thank you for sharing those. I'm going to get to the questions I ask everybody first. I'm going to pull up this image. Um, I have a product line and these are our all phrases that go on keychains in the product line. So the keychains look like this. They're like clear engraved. But so I have everybody to pick not necessarily which phrase they like the most, but which one they feel they want as a reminder in their life right now as why. Like, so you're like, oh, right. Oh, right. Like, <laughs> and I will send you the keychain if you want it. Okay. So the question is, which one, which ones are, do I want as a reminder for me? Right? Yeah. So it might not be, you might like love a phrase, but it yeah, might be yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Cause I already know that I live that, but this one might be something like, oh, right. I want to re remind myself of that. Let that shit go. And why is that one? Um, 
Cause I, I think I, I'm a loyalist and my loyalty sometimes comes before, um, like the surrender of how things have transpired or what has become. So I'll hold on to something as it was because it was so delicious or it was so good or it felt so fulfilling without the acknowledgement that like it doesn't exist anymore like that. Yeah, I get that. When you said loyalist, I don't know that if it also works for us, but like for me, I, that also can come with like people and relationships where it's like sometimes it's like, okay, it's okay for it to evolve and like the that, like to not even like letting go, like I don't like you anymore, you're not in my life, but like, you know, like letting go of what well, we used to be like this, but things are different. <laughs> and we're different. Yes, relationships and are different. Forget such- that. Like, well, you know, it's like, oh, but it was so good. And then it's like, yeah, but it wouldn't be today. Um, Okay. Uh, what is a go-to to raise your joy levels? Like something you can do like right now to be like, oh, I want to boost. Yeah. Um, two things. My niece and nephew are like my real go-to because I can just like drop into presence and, you know, start crawling on the floor and like giggle. Um, and typically with them, I turn on some amazing music on like a really good sound system and just tune everything else out. Yeah, it's so good. Like just like letting it go for like one song can really shift so much. <laughs> totally. Uh, all right. I ask everybody to apply this phrase to your own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So maybe like a habit, a way of being. What is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. What is easiest for me is to get shit done. What is best for me is to often turn stuff off. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. You got to take care of yourself. That stuff will always be there. (laughs) The shit to get done is never going away. Yeah. Totally. Uh, All right. The last question is the name of the podcast is claim it because I feel so often people can be like chasing how they want to feel or like once I have that, I'll feel enough. Once I once my company makes this much money, it'll be successful once whatever that we're constantly putting these things outside of ourselves, but not really even feeling them once we reach the the points that we think they're at. And so I feel we can claim you can claim your worth right now. You can claim your success. You can claim your fulfillment if you just focus on what does that feel like? So what are you claiming for yourself right now? I have a rule that if I'm not either having fun or learning in any moment, I'm not doing the right thing. I don't always have to be having fun because sometimes you have to like, you know, get through the hard stuff that's challenging to learn from it. But in relationships, in work in professional opportunities and how I spend my days, if I'm not like learning or having fun, I don't do it. And that basically puts me in a place where like, I am always exactly where I'm supposed to be enjoying the process. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing so much about your journey. And I'm so glad that you found things that finally are healing you and making you feel better. And that you are now bringing those into the world to support people, hopefully all over the world. Thank you for having me. And let me know if you're ready for the milk cleanse and I'll send you one today. You'll love it. You'll feel like you're flying. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to do it with someone else, I'll send you two. All right. I'll think, yeah, I'll look into that. I'm like, I'm ready to accept it. I'm like, I'm about to go like have a lot going on. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready to take the pills yet. Yeah. Like you send it to me and maybe four months from now. You're going to carry it around in your computer bag. I would totally try it. But I'm like, I don't see myself trying it this month, to be honest. (laughs) It's funny when I go into a mode of like productivity, I do it. Or if I have like, I know I have a stressful week, I go on milk. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like the, I just gets me like, it's like a gossamer string, right? Besides like like how you know it's going to make you feel, then you also don't have the half the extra worry of like, what am I eating every day? (laughs) You're like, you know, because it's like, I love food and I love eating. But yeah, then you're like, oh, wait, what am I eating? I have to to buy the food or make the food or order the food or the this, the food or like. (laughs) Yeah, it's the best. You get like so much extra time. So true. Okay. And yeah, of course, we'll have links to all of that in the show notes. 
Awesome. It's so nice to meet you. You too. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Jody. For full show notes, go to yourdryologist.com backslash podcast, and you'll find all the episodes there with its own page. Uh, you can find links to Jody and her companies and check out that milk cleanse. I'm I'm intrigued. And yeah, like tell people you know that have been having health struggles. You never know. It could really change your life or someone else's life. And again, thank you for listening. Please hit the subscribe, leave a review, send it to podcast at your dryologist, and I'll send you a little gift from my product line. All right. And hmm, final thought for the day. Honestly, I just want you to take a deep breath. Ready? Take a deep breath and inhale for one, two, three, four, five, and let it all out. Loud exhale. If you're standing, maybe like let yourself shake your arms and your legs and your body and go, let out some stale energy, make space for some new.